And this morning we're looking at James chapter 5, kind of focusing on verses 16 through 18. Uh, but I'll begin reading at verse 13 through verse 18 of James chapter 5. Once again, listen now to the reading of God's holy word. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. A gracious God in heaven, we... We do praise you and thank you for your word. We know it is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And as we come to this passage, we pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us into your truth. And that as your word goes forth in the power of the spirit, we do pray that it would find within each of our hearts and our souls that rich, fertile soil, which brings about great and abundant fruit for your glory. We ask now for your blessing upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Imagine a being, a being so great and powerful that he could do anything. That he could even create all things out of nothing. And imagine that this being created a creature that was special and unique. A creature that reflected his own glory, the glory of his own image. And imagine that this supreme being desired to fellowship with this creature and bestowed upon this creature every good and perfect gift. And then imagine that the creature wasn't satisfied with perfection, but instead disobeyed the supreme being and rebelled against him. You can imagine that the supreme being would be angry, and justifiably so. Now we might think that the supreme being would in fact be so angry that he would just wipe the creature off the face of his creation and start over, but, but he didn't. Instead, he offered a path to peace and reconciliation to the creature so that their close, intimate relationship could be restored. And imagine after giving the creature everything, even the life of his own beloved son to secure this peace and reconciliation, imagine that he gave another gift so that the creature could now communicate with him in a special, intimate way. A gift the creature could use anytime and anywhere and connect with the grace, the mercy, the power, and the might of his creator. Imagine... If such a gift was given to you, would you use it? Well, we can certainly stop imagining. Because this is no figment of our imagination. It is really the truth of the gospel. 
that God is the supreme being. Mankind is His special creature created after His own image. And mankind sinned and rebelled against God. But God was full of grace and mercy, compassion, and He brought peace with sinful man by sending His own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to suffer and die on the cross for our sins. And once reconciled to God, He continues to give us many great blessings and gifts, including the great gift of prayer. This gift which He's given to us, so that we might be able to uh, continue to communicate with Him, letting Him know of our cares and our concerns and the burdens of our hearts and the praises that we have to share. But prayer is often one of the most underused gifts that God has given to us. Yes, we're often very quick to, to pray in a time of crisis or great need, but regular, consistent times of, of both private prayer and even, and even corporate prayer often suffer at the hands of time and, and other responsibilities. If they're even, of course, occurring at all. Indeed, let this be the challenge that we consider this morning as we look at the great gift of prayer that God has given to us, and in particular, the power and the might that's available to do great and mighty things when we simply fall on our knees and pray to the Sovereign Lord who is good and gracious and is ready to listen to and answer our prayers according to His most holy and perfect will. James says at the second part of verse 16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Well, before we consider the effective, fervent prayer and what it can accomplish, it's first important to consider, well, who is a righteous man? Now, on one level, we, we know that there's only one who's truly good and righteous, and that is the Lord God, right? Remember uh, that the, the response that Jesus gave to the rich young ruler when he approached Jesus and called him good teacher, and, and Jesus set the record straight and said in Luke 18, Why do you call me good? No one is good but, but God alone. Only God is perfectly good and righteous. James isn't talking here about God. He's speaking of a man. Now certainly we might then think of, of Jesus himself, who was both God and man. And yes, he is a righteous man, and we know that, that his prayers were fully effective and, and truly demonstrated the mighty power of God, even thinking about his prayer on the cross on behalf of those who were putting him to death when he cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do and how that would be powerfully effective. As many who had earlier shouted, crucify Him, crucify Him, would later repent <coughs> and believe in the Gospel on the day of Pentecost and at other times throughout the ministry of the apostles in the early church. Though certainly in Jesus, what James says here is, uh, comes to its fullest sense. Well, Jesus or James isn't here referring to Jesus. Well, we may think that maybe he's speaking of, of himself or one of the other apostles. Right? Those who fervently committed themselves to the ministry of, of God's word and prayer. 
Indeed, they were able to, to work great wonders in the name of Christ through prayer. Think of, of Peter and Joppa in Acts chapter 9. And after Peter knelt down and prayed, a woman named Tabitha was, was brought back to life. Now, bringing someone back to life through prayer is certainly a mighty, effective work, isn't it? Or some might even contend that James here is referring to those super-Christians. Those people that, that, uh, that some call saints who supposedly have done great works in the name of God and their, their sainthood status as, uh, supposedly enables them, even though they're now long dead, somehow enables them to continue a ministry of prayer on behalf of others. And so that in praying to these dead saints... Some fools think their own prayers can be supercharged and they can then accomplish great things. But James isn't talking about apostles or super-Christians, and he's certainly not talking about supercharging our prayers by praying to the dead. Now, the righteous man or woman, as the case may be, is simply the one who's been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. One who's been washed and cleansed by the blood of Christ. Who's been forgiven, purchased, redeemed, and adopted into the family of God. The righteous man is any true and sincere believer in Jesus Christ. It is, or at least it can be, any one of us. Ordinary Christians made right with God by His grace. And James is giving great encouragement then uh, to those whom he's writing and, and encouragement to us as well. That your prayer and our prayers can be effective and can accomplish much if we're truly clothed in the glorious perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith. God has given ordinary Christians the gift of prayer. And His gracious desire is that we would use this great gift to communicate with Him, to, to share our needs and our concerns, to express our hopes and, and joys, as well as our grief and our pain and our suffering. The Sovereign Lord God, who created all the universe, He wants to hear from you. Think about that for a moment. He wants to hear from you, His people. And He's ready and willing to listen to your prayers, to answer them, and to do even great and marvelous things in response to your prayers. Brothers and sisters, your prayers can be effective, and they can accomplish much. But there are certain conditions that, that apply. And the first condition, of course, is, is faith, a, a true and sincere faith. And this is closely tied to the, to the prayer being righteous in, in God's sight. Because we can only be righteous or justified in God's sight by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Only the prayers of those who cry out in faith are heard by Him. Solomon writes in Proverbs 15, The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteous. And so a true and sincere saving faith is necessary to have this fervent, effective prayer. But it isn't just having faith in Christ for salvation that facilitates our prayers. You see, we must also have faith that God is able to do and accomplish 
what we ask, even though we might think it's impossible. And James had warned earlier about believers who pray and doubt that God is able to do what they ask. Back in chapter 1, verse 7, he says, For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, and unstable in all his ways. And so if you pray and you doubt that God is, has the power and the ability to answer, answer your prayer, well, then you shouldn't expect an answer. <coughs> See, we can't doubt. We must have faith. That God can even do what to us seems impossible. And this was the point that Jesus sought to repeatedly make to his disciples. In Matthew 17, he says, For if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Indeed, it's rather embarrassing. It's embarrassing for the disciples. Certainly, it's even more so embarrassing for us. That we often don't even have a mustard seed sized faith to trust and believe that God can do great things through our prayers. If we pray then, we must pray without doubting, we must pray in faith to the God of the, of the impossible. The third condition of effective prayer is that we, if we desire to accomplish much for God's glory in our prayers and in our lives, well then we must be vigilant to deal with the sin in our own lives. You see, our sin greatly hinders our prayers. The warning that the prophet Isaiah gives to Israel stands for us as well. In Isaiah 59, he says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear you. Our sins run interference between us and God. And this, of course, is why in the context here, James has closely tied confession of sin with prayers for healing. Remember, those to whom James was writing were having troubles and there was divisions within their, their fellowship of believers. Brother was sinning against brother and, and some were even falling to sickness. But their prayers for healing were being hindered because they had not confessed their sins to God or to one another. They had not restored peace and unity to the body of Christ. And if they would do that, then certainly their prayers would be heard. Indeed, you may be praying to God about some particular situation or, uh, or something, and, and if you ever sense that your prayers are not being answered, well, certainly one of the things that would be good to do is to examine ourselves, to examine your hearts, to see if there's any sin that may be blocking our prayer, your prayers to God. If there's any unconfessed sin. If so, then you need to confess that sins. Knowing that the Lord is faithful and just to forgive you of those sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness so that your prayers will no longer be hindered. Well, fourthly, <clears throat> effective, fervent prayer is offered up in Jesus' name. 
We saw this back in verse 14, that the elders were to pray and anoint with oil in the name of the Lord. And so we're to pray in Jesus' name, first of all, because He commanded us to do so. And in John 16, He says, uh, Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in My name, He will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in My name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. And so we pray in Jesus' name because He's commanded us to do so. Secondly, we pray in Jesus' name because He's the only mediator between God and man. We don't need a priest. We don't need Mary. We don't need any saints. We don't need Allah or Muhammad or Buddha or any other false god. Our only mediator is the Lord Jesus Christ who intercedes with the Father on our behalf. Prayer is effective only when prayed in the name of Jesus Christ. Now closely related to this is that an effective fervent prayer is prayed according to God's will. And really this is precisely what we're doing when, we're, when we pray in Jesus' name. Right? We're asking that as Jesus intercedes for us, that He who perfectly did the Father's will would conform not only our prayers, but even we ourselves to the very will of God, and that our, and our, that our thoughts and our mind would be conformed to that will of God. Indeed, in this we have Jesus' own example. On the night before His death, as He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, let this cup uh, pass from Me, yet not My will, but Your will be done. James even touched on this earlier in chapter 4, verse 15, in relation to making plans. But, but certainly it applies to our prayers as well. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. And so part of submitting ourselves to the Lord is submitting our will, our desires, and yes, even our prayers to His most holy and perfect will. And so effective, fervent prayers humbly conform to the will of God. Well, finally, we should remember that effective, fervent prayers are to be offered with persistence, patience, and endurance, that is, with fervency. Fervent not only demonstrates our eager desire, but it also demonstrates our faith in a God who truly cares enough to hear our prayers. Right? Too often we, we may pray about something or we may pray for someone and then it's, it's one and done. Right? That is, we, we pray once and then we, we forget about it. Even when we tell somebody, well, I'll be praying for you. But true, effective, fervent prayer requires persistence and faith. As the more we pray, the more, of course, we will have our wills conform to God's will, and the more we will grow dependent upon God for every good and perfect gift. Jesus had told the parable about the widow who finally received justice from the unjust judge because of our persistence and endurance, and then he applies that to prayer. And certainly he says at the end there that God is much more abounding in grace and mercy and goodness and justice than an unjust human judge. And so persistent, fervent prayer is effective prayer. And so saving faith. Faith in God's power to do even the impossible. A confessing of our sin. A praying in Jesus' name. Praying according to the will of God and praying fervently are all critical conditions of effective prayer. But we need to be mindful, though, that these conditions 
are not the great uh, the source of the great power of prayer. That is, what we have gone over here isn't meant to be a, a formula or a prescription that somehow is going to just, if you follow, as long as you follow this, it's going to magically generate powerful answers to your prayer. No, in fact, the source of the power of prayer isn't what we do. It isn't us or, or anything in us at all. Now, the power of our prayer comes from the one to whom we're praying. From the one who created us. From the one who created all things. The sovereign Lord God is what gives prayer its powerful punch. He is the Almighty One. And, and He alone has the power and the authority to answer our prayers and to accomplish great things through them. Remember when God appeared to Abraham and, and made a covenant with him and promised that he would give Abraham a son even though Abraham was very old and his wife Sarah was unable to conceive. They, they both were as dead. And God appeared to them saying, I am God Almighty. The El Shaddai. Indeed, only an Almighty God would be able to make such a promise and actually follow through and keep it telling this basically essentially dead couple that they would have a child. And by the mighty power of God, Sarah conceived and Isaac, the son of promise, was born. Another example uh, would be the young Mary who was visited by the angel Gabriel and she was told that even though she was a virgin, she would conceive and bear a son and his name shall be called Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. It was impossible for Mary in her current position, condition to have a child. And she was also told at the same time that her elderly relative, who up to this point had been barren her whole entire life, had also conceived and was also going to give birth to a son, and that this son would be the one who would prepare the way of the Lord. And when Mary questioned Gabriel about these things, saying, how could this be? The angel confirmed these things by saying in Luke 1, for with God... Nothing will be impossible. Indeed, this is the great truth, truth, friends, that we need to grab hold of. And trusting in it and clinging to it with every fiber of our being, if we must. That God is the God of the impossible. And He can truly do far beyond what we could possibly ask or think. And too often, we shrink back in fear or Or like the disciples, we lack the sufficient faith in God to accomplish great and mighty things for us and for His glory in and through our prayers. And we see the demonstration of this great power of God everywhere. Even here in in this passage, the context of James' exhortation to pray effectively has to do with healing those who are sick. And James says with all confidence in verse 15, and the prayer of faith will will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And when the elders are called upon to pray for someone who's sick, there ought to be an expectation 
that the power of God might actually do and accomplish what's being prayed for. Otherwise, going back to James 1, what's the point of praying if you're going to doubt? You need to truly believe that God is able, that He has the power to bring about healing. Now, I want to say, I'm not moving into that false health and wealth gospel, name it and claim it, right? that we hear all, unfortunately, all around the airwaves and has been, been embraced by, uh, sadly, by many churches. I have no power to heal, but yet we should have faith that our sovereign God, the one who created us, is able to heal every kind of sickness and disease if that would be His will for His glory. Because we know God has the power to heal. We see it all throughout the Scriptures. But do we really believe this when we pray for God to bring healing to someone? May it truly be so. May we truly believe that God is able. We pray that He might be willing and that it would glorify Him, that He would heal those for whom we pray. That's the power of God in prayer. And secondly, we see the power of God demonstrated in our prayers for forgiveness. Again, back in verse 15, James says about the prayer of the elders for the sick, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, the power to forgive sins, we know, belongs to God alone. Remember how the Jews were angry with Jesus because he said to the lame man who had been let down through the ceiling, and they cut a hole in the, in the roof and, and, and brought, brought him down, and Jesus said to the man, your sins are forgiven. And, and the religious leaders, they fumed within themselves, saying that this man blasphemes, for who can forgive sins but God? And you know what? They were right. Only God has the power to remove the stain of sin. Only God can separate our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. Only God can trample our iniquities and cast them into the depths of the sea where they're never to be brought out and brought up against our account again. Of course, what the Pharisees didn't realize was that Jesus could forgive sins because He was the very Son of God and that He would be the one through whom the forgiveness of sins would ultimately be accomplished once and for all through His death on the cross. And so God alone has the power to forgive sins. And when we pray and confess our sins to God, what a great demonstration of His power that we know we will be washed and cleansed from our sins. And sometimes this can be a real hindrance to us because sometimes even though we confess our sins to God, we seek His forgiveness, we receive that forgiveness, and yet we still hold on to that sin ourselves. And we need to to let go of it. If God has let go of it, we need to let go of it. God alone has the power to forgive sins. And when we pray and confess our sins, we know that He will truly forgive us in Christ Jesus. And certainly we can cite many other instances of the power of God 
being displayed in response to his people faithfully calling out to him in prayer. As we sang earlier in, uh, in Psalm 66, the, the Israelites crying out to, to God in prayer while they were slaves in Egypt. And God responds by sending Moses who would deliver them with a mighty hand and, and doing great and uh, many wondrous works. And then even it talks about the Israelites who were battling the Amorites and, and Joshua prayed and the sun stood still so that the battle could be won. The Assyrians later in Israel's history had Jerusalem surrounded and, and the people inside the city were, were starving and they were, they were hungry because of the siege upon the city. And King Hezekiah humbled himself before the Lord and he prayed earnestly to the Lord. And then the Lord, in a miraculous display, decimated the Assyrian army and delivered His people. And in Acts chapter 12, we read of Peter who was imprisoned by Herod. And, and on the very night that Herod was going to bring Peter forward for judgment, likely meaning that he was going to put Peter to death. We read in Acts 12 verse 5, But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And what happened? The Lord mightily answered their prayer and sent his angels to deliver Peter. And again, there are many other examples, but, but really this last one is especially important because it shows us that the church had a group of, of ordinary believers in Jesus Christ. These weren't super Christians. These weren't uh, even all the apostles. Maybe some of them, but it was the church. Just the ordinary believers in Christ had met and to pray for Peter. And God met that need with great power and might. Indeed, the true power of prayer is in the great God to whom ordinary Christians pray. Well, James now goes on to mention the prophet Elijah as an example of a righteous man who effectively and, and fervently prays to God and accomplished much. Now, to understand what James is saying here, we have to realize that Elijah was, was really highly regarded by the Jews. In fact, in fact they kind of held him up as, as sort of a superhero. Right? Uh, one of the old, old Testament heroes. Right? He, he was this great prophet of old. And Elijah stood up against the, the wicked duel of, of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And he won that great victory over the false prophets of Baal on, on Mount Carmel. And of course, what added to the mystique with Elijah is that he didn't taste death, but he was taken up in a fiery chariot to heaven. And of course, it was also prophesied that Elijah would one day return and that his appearance would then be the forerunner to the coming of the Messiah. And so yes, Elijah was viewed as almost superhuman. But note how James is very quick to, to take Elijah and bring him back down to earth, back down to, to our level. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Right? He was the same as you and me. Elijah was just a regular guy. Yes, he, he certainly had a special calling as, as a prophet of the Lord, but he was just a regular guy. There was nothing extraordinary about him. 
And yet Elijah was what we would call a true prayer warrior. A regular guy who faithfully, and as James says here, earnestly prayed to the Lord. And when Elijah prayed, things happened. And in 1 Kings 17, Elijah uh, prophesied to Ahab that neither dew nor rain would come until he gave word. And, And for three and a half years... There was a severe drought throughout all the land. But then in in 1 Kings 18, the Lord told Elijah that the drought was about to end. 1 Kings 18, 42, And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. Elijah was praying earnestly, fervently, with great faith. And seven times as, as he was praying... Seven times he would pause, he would send his servant to go and, and to look out over the sea. And then finally, as he continued to pray and repeated this cycle, after the seventh cycle of prayer and sending, the servant came back and said he saw a small cloud, the form of a, the size of a man's hand, forming over the sea. And the rain then came, as James says here in verse 18, the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. It hadn't rained for three and a half years. Elijah prayed earnestly, fervently, and it rained. Now again, it's important to remember that Elijah was, again, just an ordinary man. He had no power or control over the weather. But he earnestly and faithfully prayed to the God, the only living and true God who did control the weather. And by God's power and might, Elijah's prayer was answered. Beloved of God, this is the same almighty, all-powerful God that we serve and worship today. This is the same powerful God who desires that we call upon His name in faith and who wants us to, to talk with Him, to fellowship with Him through prayer. He's full of grace and mercy. And He's ready and willing to hear our concerns with a listening and, and sympathetic ear. He's willing and able to do great things in us and for us and through us as we faithfully, fervently, and humbly cry out to Him in prayer. The sovereign Lord God of the universe wants to hear from you and use this gift that He's given and pray to Him. But also be mindful to use this great gift of prayer Not just for yourself and for your own encouragements, but for the blessing and the benefit of others. Especially those in the household of faith. Indeed, give the gift of prayer as you diligently and fervently pray for one another. Pray for the sick. Pray for the needy. Pray for those who grieve. Pray for your brothers and sisters to have grace and strength amidst daily temptations and struggles with sin. And then pray for those outside these walls. Pray for faithful believers in congregations in Christ. Pray for congregations in our presbytery and throughout the denomination. Pray for missionaries, church planners. Pray for the institutions of the church. Pray for those who are persecuted around the world for their faith in Christ. And then pray diligently for the lost in your own families, co-workers, friends, and neighbors. Pray for the spread of the gospel across the Brazos Valley. 
pray for our nation, our leaders, and those in authority over us, and pray diligently, faithfully, and fervently as you await the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praying that when He comes, much will be accomplished, that His name will be glorified. Pray to the Lord for all these things. So be it. Amen. Let's pray. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks to you for this great reminder of the gift of prayer that you've given. And sadly, it's often true that we often neglect this wonderful, glorious gift. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, stir up within our own hearts and uh, bring us to our knees to uh, pray to you. And that you would develop within even this congregation of your people a congregation of prayer warriors, those who look to you, who fervently pray, who trust in you, who trust in your power to, to do great and mighty things according to your plan and your purpose. And that through those prayers you would accomplish much for our good, for the good of one another, for the good of the church. And for the glory of your holy name. Father, we praise you that it is through prayer that we acknowledge our own need for salvation. That we confess before you our sins. We pray that we would not be hindered because of our sins. That you would truly wash us and cleanse us. We pray for those who are sick. We pray for the weak. We pray for those who are in need of wisdom. We pray for our witness to be bold. We pray, Lord, for the gospel, the true gospel, to, to spread throughout this region. And that you would use us as a beacon of light and hope to accomplish much for your glory. We pray for the work of your people and faithful people in other parts of the world. Many are in places where they're being persecuted because of their faith. We pray for them. Not that they would be quiet so that the persecution would stop, but that you would uphold them and sustain them as they continue to declare the truth of the gospel. Father, we pray for our leaders we pray that they might humble themselves before you and, and bow before you and, and confess your name, looking to you and to your word to be guided as to how they would lead our nation at all levels. Father, we pray as we wait anxiously for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But until that time, we pray that you would uphold us and sustain us and that you again would help us to make use of this great gift. And that we would truly accomplish much. And that you would do much in us and through us. All to the praise of your glorious name. We pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.